And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. This is Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And on the phone, Dr. John Vance. Hello, everyone. Now, for the sake of our listeners, uh, I think I'm going to share a secret, and that is, John Vance, you couldn't make it to the studio today because you've got a bad back. So yeah. I want to I want to really thank you for even taking the time here on the phone today and joining us. And remind people, you know, pray for him. Yes, pray for JLV, as we call him behind the <laughs> scenes. That's, that's the initials of his name. Um, you know, last week we talked about the baptism of our Lord and Savior Jesus. In some ways, what follows in the life of Jesus is almost, as Keith Matheson put it, a, an odd story, because John the Baptist has just baptized Jesus. You know, going back to last week, we talked all about this. We hear the voice of God from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And as Matheson points out, we would expect that the next item on the agenda would be the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And instead, we read that the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it, and it does seem very strange. Um, maybe you fellows have thought about that and have some comments and reactions to that. I think uh, that uh, Jesus had to do battle with Satan before he did battle for the lives and uh, uh, of the souls of men. There is a sense in which uh, the minister is going to be put to the test by Satan himself. Hmm. And, and that is true in every case. I think that that's why we don't ordain ministers right away. Hmm. We want to hmm. see them go through trials. We call them putting them through trials, even though they've gone to seminary. There is a time of testing to see if what they're made of. And, of course, it's only in testing that one ever discovers what one is made of. You never know until that, uh, if you will, a soldier is thrown into battle to see what he's made of. Mm -hmm. And in this sense, Jesus faces Satan, his uh, ultimate and implacable foe, and uh, it says uh, in the scriptures that the the, uh, Holy Spirit didn't simply just lead him, it was almost a casting into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's quite a, a story, and of course, part of that whole story is the fasting for 40 days. And of course, we have one of the 40s again in the mm. scriptures. Of course, the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, Moses' life being divided into 40 segments, and one of them being a 40 year uh, sojourn in the wilderness before his second 40 year sojourn mm-hmm. in the wilderness. But Jesus has a 40 day fast in the wilderness, and uh, it's um, you know, there's there's a lot going on and a lot we don't know. And we'll never know that went on between him and, and the Father. Now, is that the, the portion world. where it says that he had fasted 40 days and afterward he was hungry? Yes. Yeah. And and then and that starts it, the temptation. It always struck me kind of almost funny. You know, it's like, yeah, I kind of figured he'd be hungry, but he must have been very hungry. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's some no fast. No doubt he was, he was uh, on a vigil of prayer and fasting yeah. uh, to prepare himself. Uh, that is Jesus' uh, manner of life, and he, he did pray and fast on a number of occasions. And I think sometimes we Christians in the modern world 
while it's not commanded in Scripture, uh, there are times when we should devote ourselves to fasting and prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus did before he entered in officially to his public ministry, uh, because after the after the temptation, it is interesting in Mark's gospel that after the temptation, then uh, Jesus uh, begins to preach, and then he calls his disciples. Mm-hmm. So this is a time of testing, true testing. Mm-hmm. The word temptation, by the way, can be translated temptation or testing. Oh. I prefer to see this as the testing of mm-hmm. right. Now You kind of think about uh, instances in the scriptures of where there were previous temptations, and, and the famous one, well-known one, is is that in, in the Garden of Eden, this beautiful garden, uh, Satan comes, he tempts Adam and Eve. I read that the other day, and it, it's, a, it's a fascinating part of Scripture where Satan first actually comes to Eve, and she kind of convinces her husband, Adam, to eat. But they failed. I mean, the bottom line is they failed. Um, in this temptation of Jesus, he doesn't fail. What a, what a contrast. Yeah. And the temptation, again, is the temptation to eat, right? Yes. And uh, it's fascinating there because of all the temptations. The next two that are to come, clearly you can say that it's the wrong thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one temptation where you could probably sit there and say, well, why not? <laughs> Well, you know, in Jesus' case, also to see something theologically at operation here. Exactly. Uh, uh, the the children of Israel actually failed as God's covenant partner, mm-hmm. but the greater Son of Israel, Jesus, who is not only the representative of Israel, he is the representative of all those who will come to believe in him, becomes the faithful covenant partner and fulfills our side of the covenant perfectly. Yes. In righteousness and obedience. In fact, the scripture says that he learned obedience from the very mm-hmm. beginning and became obedient finally to mm-hmm. the death on the cross. Amen to that. Yeah. Now, um, sometimes Jesus is called the second Adam, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and so here's the second Adam facing the temptations of Satan. It's a desolate wilderness, and yet he succeeds he does not he does not give in to the wiles of the devil it it is a, a big contrast as john was <laughs> mentioning you know here if you talk about the failure of the children of israel that came in an adam obviously he partook of the, the the fruit eve she saw that it was good it looked good it just it's that sensuous it's a vision that 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 got him the children of israel they're coming what are they complaining about half the time <laughs> We don't have enough to eat. Oh, this manna. Mm-hmm. Same yes, thing, over and yes. over. Come on. Can we have some of them? And, of course, now Satan, Jesus hadn't eaten four days, and he says, turn the stones into bread. And, yeah. and, and Jesus is, I love his answer. Man does not live by bread alone. And, and notice, too, how the, the temptation that comes in. It's like, first, it's like this little thought. This little seed of thought is planted mm-hmm. in our Savior's head. But that's the way it is in our head. Yeah. You know, we get a little seed of thought, a little temptation, and we start thinking about it and say, well, this isn't so bad, and we justify it. Well, Jesus didn't justify it. There's a certain symmetry, of course, uh, as we've already uh, alluded to here, with the uh, the uh, our first parents, 
mm. and their temptation. But there's also a certain uh, symmetry with the account of Moses and the children of Israel as they wandered in the mm. wilderness for 40 years. Mm. Yeah. So both those uh, events are in the background here, it seems clearly. Yeah. And Jesus then is being faithful and passed the test. But his temp- main temptation, though, though, does not come until after the 40 days. He's Say in that. a weakened state. He's, mm. he's uh, uh, no doubt uh, uh, exhausted, hungry. Uh, his uh, mental state may be confused in some sense, in the sense that uh, no one can clearly think when, uh, as well as they can when they're tired and worn out. Mm. Remember, he shares our humanity and our frailties. Hey, That's part of the incarnation. You're, you're hitting on a terrific point, John. You see, Jesus, I know when I get sick or I get tired, I make excuses for myself. You know, yes. I'm. <laughs> that's that's when I lose. I think it. we all do. That's when I sin, and, and and it's like, and I almost excuse it because I'm just tired and, mm-hmm. and this or that. And Jesus, no excuse, yeah. no excuse here. He just lived a holy life. Yeah. Well, the Satan always doesn't hit us when we're up. He hits us when we're <laughs> yeah. weak and down. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. Now, gentlemen, hold that thought. We're up against a break. Uh, today, you're listening to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. We're talking about the temptations of Jesus prior to him beginning his public ministry. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. Let me learn that my losses are my gain to be- 
And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf in the studio with me today, the Reverend Mark Diedrich on the phone, Dr. John Vance. We've been talking about the temptations of Jesus. You know, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, uh, you would think that he would just uh, right away enter into public ministry. And yet there's kind of a surprise waiting for us in the New Testament. We learn that Jesus is led into the wilderness for 40 days and he is tempted of the devil. There is a um, some thinking that talks about this um, in terms of, we, we mentioned Adam and Eve and how that Adam and Eve, they fell. They, they gave in to the temptation. And um, there's the notion of, and very real one in Scripture, theologically, of, of Adam being our representative head. You know, he's the, the first Adam. And how that the failure of Adam... Uh, then brought sin and death on the whole human race, according to Romans 5. And so, um, yet here now is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's facing a temptation, but he succeeds. He's the only one who ever has succeeded in the face of temptation, and he was the sinless one. He's the second Adam, and he comes, and as you say, he does succeed. One of the things that really underlines is the true humanity of Jesus Christ. Mm. You know, uh, there's a heresy in the early church that said Jesus wasn't truly human. He was he was divine. But you see, Satan's dealing with him, and because he's truly human, I think Satan felt that he thought he could he could win. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, but he's he's truly human, and yet he doesn't sin. Well, Paul interprets this theologically, of course, in the book of Romans. I think Mm. most of you are aware of uh, this famous uh, passage in in Romans where he says that uh, death came through the one man, Adam, Adam, but life through Jesus Christ. So what we are seeing worked out here in the temptations in the wilderness and the uh, following his uh, his fasting for forty days, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, in in the soul and bowels of Jesus Christ, if you will, salvation, eternal salvation, is being worked out through his obedience and resistance of temptation. Yes, which finally mm-hmm. leads him to the cross. So it's as much, in one sense, a salvific event as we have in the scriptures where it finally issues forth and culminates in his death on the cross where he is greatly tempted. And I'm glad you brought that up, that salvific aspect of it. And this Jesus' sinlessness, um, even in this early temptation before his public ministry, was really necessary for our salvation, and it falls all the way through to the cross. I think there's a richness there. Um, you mentioned how that death came through one man, Adam. Maybe this is just a sidetrack, maybe a rabbit trail, but I just, I, I did want us to talk about it just really briefly. Um, sometimes I think the temptation, if you will, for people hearing that maybe for the first time is to say, that's not fair. 
oh, that's not fair. Why, why should I be charged with guilt because this one man sinned? Uh, how, how would you answer that question or objection? Well, I would answer it this way. I, I um, once heard it put this way, and it stuck with me, and I believe it's... Uh, while, while we can always ask questions and we cannot possibly plumb the depth of God's mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ and mm. what it means for us, but think for a moment that uh, uh, God works in covenants, and he chose a covenant partner in our first parents. Mm-hmm. And let's just suppose, to get the picture of what that means, that God looked down among all the possibility of human beings and chose the best, the absolute best to represent us in our first parents, and they failed. And so what that means is, if they failed, we would have failed twice as quickly mm-hmm. because the best was chosen to represent us, and yet human beings failed in Adam. Mm-hmm. But it is in the second son who took upon himself human flesh and came into our world, and as Mark said, fully a man. It should not be minimized. Uh, he's fully a man, subject to history, subject to a certain culture and time and place, and subject even to temptations, that he succeeded. The second Adam was obedient, and we are saved then through representation, uh, as well as we fell through representation. And this is God's dealings. This is the way he deals in covenants. And so I am thankful for the new covenant that we are saved not by works of righteousness, which we can do, but through the righteousness and merits of one who indeed is perfect Mm. and God's perfect representative. Yeah, that sense of federal headship, you know, I mean, first with Adam, who sinned, and we have uh, sin because of that. And then second, through Christ, the second Adam who died, means that we can also apply his righteousness to us. It's imputed to us. It's imputed righteousness. And, you know, without that kind of federal headship, it would have to be Christ dying individually for each and every one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's the beauty of God's plan. Yeah, the writer of Hebrews, he's, he died once for, for all. all. Yeah. One death is sufficient, as he represented us all. Mm-hmm. You know, what is instructive, too, is to go through these temptations and how he defeated them. Yes. I think there's a very practical application to the Christian life when you go through and you examine how Jesus dealt with each temptation. Remember, he is in a weakened state, if you will, body and uh, emotionally. And uh, when the tempter comes to him, he says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many scholars have pointed out Satan is really not casting doubt on the sonship, but since or if you are the son of God, and you are, he, he seems to affirm that, then you should be able to command these stones hmm. to turn into bread. Mm-hmm. And I like the way Jesus answered. He appeals to Scripture. He appeals, actually, to the book of Deuteronomy. It is written, hmm. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mm-hmm. You know, we live by the promises of God. Yeah. Sometimes we think we live purely by bread. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But that is not the case. Uh, we live as Christians by the promises of God. And we almost had a, uh, a lesson here on uh, the future of Christianity in America and so forth. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, let me cut to the chase and say, while I, I have some dire predictions in some ways or, or forecasts, the one thing I am certain of that will see us through in every case is that we live by the Word of God. Mm, that's right. Yeah, And that's one of the things we need to understand in, in this nation. We live by God's Word. We don't live by the cleverness of our abilities to manipulate the other parts of creation, but mm-hmm. uh, we live by God. Let me ask you this. Uh, we have maybe, um, oh, I don't know, maybe five minutes left to our discussion today. Unrehearsed, totally unrehearsed, surprise question, gentlemen. Christians today, um, sometimes you'll come across various Christians today that that almost seem to find a demon behind every corner and have a, a very heightened sense of the presence of Satan and all of that. Um, just a practical advice, you know, you, you guys have been pastoring for a long time, and uh, you've seen many counseling cases, many Christians come and go through your doors. Could you give some advice to those who maybe overly fear demonic influence or overly fear the temptations of Satan while not denying that they exist and knowing that we have to deal with them? How do we work through this I'm going to let John take that second because his answer is going to be better than mine. (laughs) Uh, But I just want to say that we're always dealing with three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. And they're always at war with us. And indeed, uh, the devil is there. But guess what? The world and our own flesh are enough to wreak plenty of havoc with us. There's that advertisement for some insurance company, I think with uh, destruction or something, he's mm-hmm. havoc or whatever it is. I mean, it's always there, and we don't have to look for the devil. He, yeah, he's there. He's doing his stuff. But in our own lives, we have uh, that problem there. But again, what is the solution? The solution to that is, uh, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trials, but give heart. I have overcome mm-hmm. the world. Jesus is our solution, and the essence is of daily Resting on Him, mm-hmm. resting on Jesus Christ, yeah. focusing our life there, and just resting on Him, because He will bring it through. Well, my answer is not too different than Mark's. Uh, I hearken back to Martin Luther, who uh, saw the devil on several occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luther made a, an acute observation. He says, since the devil is the, is the man of pride, uh, he hates nothing worse than to be humiliated. And, mm. of course, I wouldn't employ or recommend his actions to humiliate the devil. Yeah. But I will uh, suggest this. Our focus is not on Satan. It is on Christ. Jesus said, look unto me and be saved. Uh, too much focus on the devil will actually create mental imbalance. Yeah. And those uh, groups and those persons who are inclined to focus on Satan often become very imbalanced and emotionally unstable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not to fix our eyes on him. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the, the great illustration is Peter trying to walk on the water. When he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to sink. So we must remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Mm-hmm. Our fear is not of Satan, so to speak, in one sense. Our fear is the fear of God. Yeah, that's that's right. the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my focus is on him 
and and that produces the healthy mind and the healthy spirituality. Just the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear of what of Satan. He has given us power of love and of self control as we fix our minds on Jesus. Yeah, I was just second that with John and Paul writing in Philippians four eight. He says, "You know, where's where's your mind going to be? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things." And he also mm. says, uh, "Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus." Yeah, and and yes. his mind was on heavenly things, upon That's God's right. promises. Uh, and all through this temptation here, Jesus quotes Scripture. By the way, they're all from the book of Deuteronomy. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm just looking at the clock. I see we're at a time for our discussion already today. We have been talking about the temptation of Jesus. This uh, broadcast is up on our website. Check it out if you'd like to hear it again, or maybe... Uh, uh, send the link to a friend to listen. Our address there is RedeemerBroadcasting.org. We've also, at the end, been talking about the Scripture and how important it is to be in the Scripture. And we have a little free handout here at the ministry. It's called Through the Bible in a Year. And it will guide you in your Bible reading and your personal life. Uh, if you'd like a copy of that, just contact us. Today we've been talking about the temptation of Jesus and uh, we invite your correspondence. Our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And in the studio with me today has been the Reverend Mark Diedrich. On the phone has been Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Quick reminder to join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 